Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, we finished up the Pursue Atlanta kind of series yesterday. We were looking at the book of Philippians. We were talking about vision. So what what have kind of the vision casting stuff gets you most fired up, Jennifer? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I, the vision casting, you know, just the opportunities for commitment. I did think that was very, it's because it's very exciting what's happening at Christ Covenant. And when we, just even over these past four weeks, it, I don't know, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, hey, I do yeah. too. <laughs> Tom, anything? It's super exciting to come in to this church and to come in at a vision casting time because it gives Heather and I a picture of what the Lord's been doing and really kind of forecasting, if you will, where the Lord's taken us. And so we've just gotten excited every week of, man, we're glad to be on board and let's let's pony up, let's commit, let's, uh, let's see what the Lord's going to do. One of the things that I'm really excited about, I'm going to combine two that we talked about. You know, we talked about like pursuing maturity, pursuing our place, pursuing missional impact. I really think one of the one of the kind of synergies. Well, let me, let me talk about all three. Let me talk about how there's some synergy between all of this. So, getting established. One of the things that I think, like getting established, maybe having like a home base will help us with, is getting established people to come right. You know, young college, young adult, they don't mind moving around. They like that stuff. They don't mind kind of the startup phase. Uh, older, more mature people, stable. They kind of, they want stability, right? They're they're stable. Like when you're in college, you could literally move. Uh, I mean, I, I moved to college in my Ford or in my uh, Toyota 4Runner, you know? <laughs> like I, everything I needed to go to college my Toyota Forerunner. And then, you know, when I left college, you know what I took, Jennifer? What? My Toyota Forerunner. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> exactly. That's all I needed. You know, I, I could, I could, I didn't get a U Haul. I didn't get anything. Like, Young I just, and agile. Right. Yeah. Agile. Right. That's all I had. And, you know, throughout my, uh, like, early 20s, all that kind of time, I moved around. Like, I was bouncing around. I moved into so many houses between even college and, uh, like the time, even when I was in Covington, like the time from Paige, when I like left college to the time that I, you know, moved to Birmingham, I mean, I lived in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Well, man, moving over here, it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. Now I have three kids. I got all this stuff. I got a house. We're moving. You know, we had to move into a storage place. We had to move in this place. Like, like I don't want to move like ever uh-huh again in my life. Like it's just such a process. It's just so hard to do. And I kind of think that's a good illustration for how like older, you know, more established, and I'll include myself in this, like it's, it's hard to like think about the idea of moving church or joining church or getting plugged into a church because it's like, man, there's so many connections. There's so many ties here. Whereas 
a lot of times if you're like a young 20 something, maybe you like went to a worship service at this church. And so I'll just go to this church. Like it's, it's easy to kind of move over. But, but anyway, all that to say, I do think like finding a stable place in our city will get more older folks, more established folks to come. And that's good because what I've noticed in, in kind of my church experience is if you have like a stable base, you can really be a great sending church, a missions kind of sending church. And so if you get, if you get a little more stability, pursue our place in the city and we're maturing our ministries, right? And so maybe one of the ministries we're maturing is student ministry and college ministry. And we're trying to make deeper missional impact. You put this whole little recipe together, stability, mature ministry, college students, missional impact, all of a sudden you can really start thinking, okay, we can really start not just engaging our community, our city, but really like other cities and really the whole world here. And so that's kind of exciting. Um, but those are all kind of part of the same recipe. It's it's hard to jump from we're meeting in a different place every week. We only have like 20-somethings coming to our church, which is great. We love all that. Right. To we want to engage the world. Like there's there's some pieces that you kind of have to have in place, but I think the Lord's kind of putting all of those pieces in together uh, to really do something special. So, so yeah, so I'm excited about that. But we, we're in Philippians. We're in Philippians 4 this week, and uh, let's talk about that. So, I don't know, Jennifer, any impressions from the sermon? Yeah, I... Um when I was, um, I thought the visual on the screen was really helpful when it was up there to see the five points. And I noticed that each one said eternal, that there was this eternal element um, that you were emphasizing or in that Paul is emphasizing. And to think that really what God is asking us to do is to, you know, once we've um, put our faith in Jesus to live in that reality that this eternal nature of our salvation starts now that it's it is our spiritual reality and you um the example of the home you know that when you stay in a hotel that's not right, your home right, yeah. that was really good to be like yeah I need to be living um as though this is my reality I'm and we talked we've talked about that for the past couple of weeks but then to have these practical ways of how to do that um, it was it was just a really great super helpful sermon yeah I think we I think we think of eternity as something that's coming not something that reaches into our current moment yes. right yes and so and, and we don't and we don't think about again like if you think about identity you know like to use the hotel example, even though I didn't spend the night in my own house last night, I don't say I'm from the Hilton Garden Inn. I live That's in right. the Hilton Garden Inn. You, you understand, like, I'm re I really live in Atlanta. I'm really from Atlanta, but I'm just here for a time. And so that frames kind of how you make decisions, what you do. I'm not going to hire the contractor, even though I really don't like where this wall is, because... I, I'm from Atlanta. I have an identity that's from Atlanta. And so I, I do think like, to your point, like if we really start to see ourselves as, as eternal, as sons and daughters of God, our timeline grows, uh, how we think about the purpose of our life grows, the things that we can like, maybe in a temporal sense, wouldn't give any attention to, will if we see ourselves as part of this bigger thing. Another analogy, uh, just that maybe is helpful 
image is kind of using this idea of eternal. And I'm not only using eternal in terms of a timeline sort of thing, but in a kind of like the macro nature of God and his plan kind of thing. When I, uh, <laughs> when I went to First Baptist Covington, for example, and, you know, if you're from First Baptist Covington, you, you, you already know this to be true. I mean, in my mind, I was only going to be there about five years. I, I didn't really think this is where the Lord had called me. I loved that church. I loved my time there. The Lord did great things there. But I mean, if I have to be honest, like I just had, and they know this, like they're not surprised by this. Like I thought I'll be here about five years. And I was literally there five years. Um, and that was not intentional that I left right at the five-year mark. It just, you know, it was how it happened. Um, but anyway, because of that, I kind of had, man, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I, you know, I, don't, I, I there was a little bit more of a clock ticking in my head. Um, which I think at that time for that church, because it, it, they had massive debt, they weren't really growing. There was, they, they needed something kind of quick. They needed like a quick shot in the arm. And so I think it served that church well. But, you know, Company Christ Covenant, for example, uh, you know, I thought we're going to be here for 30 years. So like the kind of pace, the decisions that I made were really different, right? The things mm -hmm. that I was able to spend my time on. And I would just say like, uh, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? I mean, if you have this horizon of your life of, okay, I don't have to accomplish everything by 65 because then I'm going to retire and I want to do this and this and this. You know, if if like becoming president of the United States, or let's not even use that, the becoming president of your company is the thing that's going to make you significant and valuable, mm -hmm. then you have all these milestones that you have to hit. You know, work begins ruling your life. But if, if Christ is really... Uh, central in your life, you may still become president of your company, but you know, the, the things that you're willing to give yourself to, uh, are just very different. You're going to make different decisions. And, and I think that as Christians, if we're ruled by those temporal things, if we're ruled by becoming president of our company, for example, if we don't hit the milestone, it's going to create enormous anxiety. If we don't, you know, have the greatest sales quarter, it's going to create enormous anxiety and, and, and just apply that all across your life. But if you know you're already adopted into the family of God and in Christ and going to be a child of God forever and going to be a part of his kingdom forever, then the way that you operate can be so much more peace-filled. And that's hopefully what I, you know, yeah, hopefully what it, this passage helps us to see. It's the, um, your belief is informing, your, you, again, your beliefs are informing what you think and then your emotions follow that instead of, what feels like um, happens often to me where my emotions take over right. and then that's driving, driving the ship. But you're saying go back. And that's why Paul kind of gives, he gives these, this exhortation, this command, don't be anxious. But then he gives all these things like think about this, practice this. He gives these kind of more practical things. So Thomas, what were your impressions? Yeah, going back to what you said a second ago, I, I think it's so good for us just to meditate on the idea that the eternal is, it's a both and. Yes, it is going to happen when I go and be with the Lord if I'm in Christ, but it's also happening. Mm. And that's a reset. I thought the political arguments of uh, the job, uh, the job pressures, the family, all those things we find our value in, our worth in. Uh, really, if we hold those up in light of eternity, in light of being in Christ, 
everything else takes a backseat and we just start to see the world a little different. But I also, I really appreciate what Paul said uh, in, in verse six, where he says, do not be anxious about anything. And you really, you really kind of belabored, belabored that verse. Yeah. You, you paused on it. You, you read it through a couple of times. It's a great verse. Yeah. I mean, it's just, hey, it's pretty clear. Don't be anxious. You know, I, I, and again, we are anxious. It's not like, you know, I think that this is kind of an interesting thing for Christians to think about. Because it's not like anxiety, again, you know, if somebody said, like, do not have sex outside of marriage, you could, like, say, okay, I, if, you know, there's this other woman here, like, I can't have sex with her. You know, like, there's a there's a decisiveness to that. Anxiety's not like that. You don't say, like, am I going to be anxious today or am I going to be calm today? Am I going to be peace today? <laughs> yeah. It's just something that it, it, it's, it's not really a decision. It's a reaction. But what Paul's kind of saying here is, no, actually, it is a decision. And when you are, when you, when you're not rejoicing in the Lord, when you're not thinking about these things, he's almost assuming it as like a default position, but here's how you overcome it. And that's why I think this is really such a helpful passage is it pushes us out of anxiety. But, you know, as you say, like, it's, it's a command, like, it's not like, look, it's not the best to be anxious, but you know, okay, I realize it's going to happen. It's, it's no, you got to fight this. Don't be anxious. Push against anxiety. And, and here's how. Yeah, I, th I think so often we read the Old Testament, and we see the commands. They jump off the page, especially if you have, you know, a church background. You're familiar. Old Testament commands. New Testament, we read a lot of suggestions where it's truly a command. And it's a command. Do not be anxious. So maybe practically speaking, you, you, you two, you're seasoned experts especially in the Christ covenant world. I'm brand new to the scene, but maybe, maybe Doobie. some suggestions <laughs> of, you know, this is how I practice this command of do not be anxious. Well, I mean, again, I'll just kind of go through the five big things. And then I think it's, it'll be fun to kind of get practical on those. But in a sense, there's, you know, the directional thing, which is kind of less of a practical thing, which is rejoice in the Lord. So have your direction toward God, which can be very practical. Then there's prayer, which obviously is pretty practical. And we can talk about that. There's Thanksgiving, pretty practical. Mm -hmm. But even Thanksgiving, you know, I think you, you got to boil that down a little bit more practical because it's kind of like, you know, how do you be grateful, right? I mean, gratitude, you could say a prayer of thanks, but that doesn't actually make you grateful. So like, how do you pursue a grateful heart? So we have the directional, the prayer, the thanksgiving, the thinking kind of piece, and then the doing kind of piece, the practice these things. So, so yeah, there's a lot there. There's some of those lend themselves to practicality more than others, but I don't know, any one of those you want to take off and say, here's a practical way that I've pursued this. Um, well, I'll start with uh, the thinking because that's actually a lot what we do when you come into biblical counseling, um, where we um, Lou actually uses this great um, tool called an anxiety journal, where you can you write down you actually write down the things that you're the most anxious about, but then you think about the biblical what is the thing that you're believing that's leading to this anxiety? Kind of what we were just talking about, like going back to the truth, but also writing down you know like the biblical way to think about what you're you're struggling with, and then praying that. So it's like the thinking and the praying going together, but it's a great exercise. It's very practical 
world to actually something about just getting it down on paper. For one thing, it makes it um, less like whenever I'm anxious, it feels like the biggest thing in my life and just completely unsurmountable. But then when I write it down, it's like, oh, okay, this is really like this one thing that I'm going through. Um, And then I can see better how the Bible speaks to that particular thing. It's kind of like you're you're talking about bringing... Shining the flashlight under the bed, bringing the monster out of the closet. Yes. Put it down on paper. Right. And and just see, what is it that I'm so consumed with? Well, and I think like it's it's framing, and this is why like there was a float yesterday, like direction informs how you pray, how you think, how you mm-hmm. think, how you do, right? But if you understand rege- the direction, if you understand who you are in Christ, to, to Jennifer's point, you understand that you're called to a different narrative, a different worldview. So, for example, politic, uh, politics, the, the political kind of sphere, that's a, that's a good one to talk about. Because, okay, if you're listening to this, I just, again, want to reiterate something I said yesterday. Media companies are not public service companies, right? That's right. They are businesses, right? And they're good businesses and they know how to sell their product, Right. In fact, there was somebody that resigned from the New York Times last year because they were like, we're not doing journalism. Uh, We're just printing stories about Donald Trump over and over and Mm -hmm. over again and how bad he is as a president. Now, of course, like the journalists have like a, they they should critique, I mean, you know, critique and and bringing stories to light. That's That's a great use of journalism. That's one of the reasons the founders gave the right to a free press, right? They were trying to keep the government from getting too much power. So I'm not... I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that, but that's not what was happening at the New York Times. The New York Times had created this monster, and whether or not he was a monster or not, but they had created this monster, Donald Trump, that everybody should be afraid of. And so they just kept printing stories over and over and over again because everybody was afraid of the monster. And the right kind of does this with like socialism or, you know, AOC or whoever, like, you know, you know, other, you know, more right-wing companies like Fox News, whatever, they've kind of created some monsters too. Kamala Harris is, you know, one of the ones that they're kind of creating as a monster. Whether or whether or not she's a monster. Again, I'm not defending Donald Trump. I'm not defending Kamala Harris. I think there's obvious things to critique about both of them. I'm just saying what, what media companies will do is they'll take, you know, if if Kamala Harris has a little horn, they'll take that and make it a huge horn. If she has like a little tooth, they'll make it a fang. They'll take this this person and then maybe even take some true things about them, but they'll, they'll, they'll prey on fear and they'll prey on these things in order to sell more newspapers. That's what they're doing. So that's a narrative that I fear a lot of Christians find themselves living in. Okay. And that can create, I mean, a bunch of monsters, that's scary. That can create enormous anxiety. And I feel that, you know, around me right now, what I think Lou does, right. And, you know, what hopefully we all do as (laughs) Christians, pastors, but like he's saying, okay, you're living here, right? In this narrative, which is actually not even true. It's just something that people came up to sell a lot of papers, which they're good at. The real narrative, how do you know the real narrative? It's actually by going to God and to what he has communicated in his word. And let's think on these things, the character of Christ. And that'll totally inform how you live. And, and it's not just thinking. I mean, that's a big part of it, right? Right. It's then praying. You can actually commune right. with yes. this God, to your point. And then it's more than that. It's it's actually doing, right? And this is all my friends that are living in this false narrative kind of political thing world. I'm saying, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing to actually 
solve these problems that you're so afraid of and engage these things that you're so afraid of. And I think that, you know, that the, practice these things, do the Christian life, you know? So for example, to Thanksgiving, how do you become grateful? Well, one of the things that I think you become grateful is go serve someone that's less privileged than you are. And I guarantee you after going, I mean, like, for example, like some of the work we do at Grove Park, you know, Jeremy Brooks, he was just sitting over there, but I guess he went somewhere else. But Jeremy and I delivered this washing machine to this lady's house. And like, she'd never had a washing machine, you know? And so she's like hand washing stuff. Then she would hang it on the clothes rack. And like, we deliver this washing machine. And she was like, so grateful for a washing machine. Okay. That somebody gave to her. Well, I've never, I don't know that I've ever prayed ex- until that moment. God, thank you for my washing machine. You know, I don't know that I've ever really thanked the Lord for my washing machine. It's just something that like, to be honest, guys, the D's family, it's not like we were wealthy growing up, but we always had a washer and dryer. And so I never like even thought this is a gift from the Lord, but it made me more focused on what I did have than on what I didn't have. So practically, how do you become more grateful? Go find somebody who is less privileged than you and go serve them. Go be around them. Go give yourself to them. Go fill a void in their life. It'll actually make you more aware of the the fullness that's in your life. That's right. That's good. Yeah, I think... That helps us to live out, as Paul concluded the whole passage, you know, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, just, pure, commendable. If there's anything excellent, think think about these things. And I think when we do that, when we live the Christian life with that eternal direction, praying to an eternal God, uh, being thankful for his eternal goodness, when we do these things, it it really grows those seeds of gratefulness it grows the seeds of eternal perspective and it kind of puts some some poison out there for those weeds of fear and anxiety right yeah well another thing that we talked about is like this whole peace of god god of peace it's kind of interesting the peace of god from the god of peace like developing peace in your life and i I think like this is kind of what we're talking about i don't know if this is really even I want to talk about this a little bit, but I think it's just more of the same. Like, how do you get the peace of God? Uh, it's these things, right? right. It's, it's it, how do you not live in anxiety and how do you get the peace of God? It's actually the same answer. It's, it's, it's doing these things. These things make you aware of the God of peace. Uh, you know, the God of peace will be with you. Well, when the God of peace, is, as he is, is with you, then what do you have? You have the peace of God. Uh, and I love verse seven. It surpasses all understanding, <laughs> the peace of God. It's hard to understand. And I love this. It guards your hearts and minds. Uh, when you're at peace, when the peace of God is near, I guess you'd say, the God of peace is near, you're guarded. You know, you're guarded. You you think rightly. You Your heart loves rightly. You respond to things rightly. You're guarded, you know. And when do you make the worst decisions? When do you get, when do your emotions get all out of sorts? You know what it is? When you're anxious, when, when, when the God of peace is not near. And so I, I just love the kind it, of interplay it leads there. To, um, it's just that sense of how anxiety so quickly leads to that sense of panic. And then you make choices out of panic. It's, right. it's always wrong. And that just again, to be reminded that God never panics, that he's in complete control. And not only that, but that he's just so, you know, I think we've said vigorously good 
toward us and his children. And just to be reminded, to remind ourselves by coming, you know, into community, by um, reading our Bibles, by listening to um, preaching and that point us back to Christ, uh, just to, again, just be constantly pushed into this, who is God? I can know him. And every time I learn something more about God and experience him in my life, he's, he's bigger, he's greater, he's He's just like exactly everything that you've ever wanted. And then I'm resting. I'm at peace because I'm trusting in him. And every time I, it's like when I test that in these moments of anxiety, instead of being like, I have this option to panic or I can trust God and then I can do, oftentimes it means you have to do a hard thing. Right. You have to Mm -hmm. do a really hard thing. But when you do, he just is it always proves himself to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And then your faith grows because you know even more, I can trust him. That's right. I have peace. You know, sometimes I, I feel like the devil maybe is like the, the salesman. That's like, you better buy it now. You better do it now. You got to do it. It's going to be gone. Right, if you don't, right, it's going right, to be gone. Right. And so much of the Bible has this word wait in it. Yeah. We're waiting on the Lord. And when we wait in the Lord, we rest in the Lord. And we watch him do a work. And we watch him take care but anxiety, you know, it's coming from the enemy because it's it's rushed and it's rash and we're out of control and we got to do this thing right now or else it's all going to implode. Right. And we're really we're really in charge at that point. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't do a great job when I'm in charge. That's but, good. But when the Lord's in charge, it says here the God of peace will guard you. Like He actively is going to come, and it, it kind of gives this picture of a shield, a shield around our heart, our our emotions. A shield around our head, our even mind, the way we yeah, process the way we think, things. The way we, yeah, man, that's really good. I think that's a good place to end, guys. So uh, for Jennifer McClish and Thomas Nelson, first sermon talkback. How was it, Thomas? Hey, this is great. All right. Hey, I love it too. It's We're awesome. talking. We're just talking. We're talking back. So for Jennifer McClish and Thomas Nelson, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. <laughs>